citizens, welcome to the Fortress of Potitude. I'm Dave Michaels. I'm Brian Betts. And this is Beer Me a Movie, the show where Bry Guy and I score a movie that's very, very scientifically done. Like the scale that we have is the Super most scientific. scientific thing ever. Like Isaac Newton looked at it and he went, because <laughs> it was just too scientific for him to even understand. I don't understand all this numbers and whatnot with your with your categories. All I know is an object in motion. No, that was Newton. That that's what we're talking about. Was he? He was the guy who like dropped shit and he's like, "Ha! Now gravity's invented or gravity. something." An object in motion stays in motion. Right, inertia and words and uh, basically, what if the score that we have zero to one hundred lines up with the Rotten Tomatoes score critically or audiencely or whateverly? We got a drink. Simple enough. Very easy rules. They're the easiest rules in the world. Even an idiot like Isaac Newton could follow it. <laughs> we drink, you drink, everybody drinks. It's fun. We kind of got away from our regular schedule program a little because we were going to talk about Climax in 2018 this week, and then yeah. we watched it, and it's really good. The problem with it is that it's really hard to talk about because it's experimental, <laughs> and we learned some lessons from rubber. We absolutely did learn some lessons from rubber. We also learned that the words no matter what no longer apply to Dave Novak. That's right. He's the one we're able to call the audible on Omaha, Omaha. Brian, what did you beer us this week? Instead, I decided to go with a sure thing, 50 sure things, 50 first dates. From 2004, directed by Peter, maybe fucking Seagull. <laughs> maybe fucking? I don't know, man. I have never seen this movie straight through until last night. Really? This is like a Comedy Central movie or a... TBS oh. or whatever it was, like you pop in the middle of it. Absolutely. And I never really knew about the whole womanizer part of it. So that was a bit <laughs> shocking. <laughs> that is a part that, yeah, could get missed if you missed the first 10 minutes of the movie. You've seen this before. Yeah. Absolutely. In fact, I just finished a trilogy of watching Wedding Singer, this movie, and then Blended, the three Adam Sandler, Drew Barrymore movies. That's a lot of Drew Barrymore. It was a lot of Drew Barrymore <laughs> and way more than enough Rob Schneider, even though he's only in one of the three movies. And it's this one. It is this one. And this movie would be borderline flawless had it not had Rob Schneider in it. <laughs> I adore this movie. Um, I'm also a sucker for most rom-coms, so. That's very, very fair. How about we dive in headfirst into the shallow end of this Hawaii sea and hope we don't forget memories the next day. Let's get right into it. Ryder McStrikely is still continuing his quest to become a multi-hyphenate. What'd you tell him to do it as this time? I'm kind of curious. Pursuing an acting career. This could get all sorts of goofy if we keep this bit alive, and I'm kind of hoping we do right now. Ryder McStrikely decided that this week we're going to be doing the movie from the point of view of Sean Astin's character, Doug. Oh, Jesus Christ. It's just going to be Doug blasting its pecs constantly. Yeah. Like Terry Crews fashion in... Blended, but not quite because it's Sean Astin. <laughs> right. Coming home from New Zealand after shooting Lord of the Rings, and he goes, I need a break. Get me the Sandman. <laughs> now, the thing about this synopsis is that Doug in the movie has a lisp. Don't tell me that he used the lisp while writing this thing. Writer McStrikely wrote the entire synopsis with a lisp, so this oh should be interesting. God. Yeah, well, you have to read it. I sure do. <laughs> That said, let's just get into it, right? All right, so I'm Doug, Sean oh my Astin. God. <laughs> and I'm all about that gym life, you know? But let me tell you 
about this one-of-a-kind romance that went down with my sister Lucy. Played, of course, by Drew fucking Barrymore. You're like a Canadian Mike Tyson right now. It is so weird. Canadian Mike Tyson is actually the name of my band. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Lucy's a super sweet girl, but she's got this issue with her memory, see? She was in a... <laughs> <laughs> you can't even read it! <laughs> it's so difficult to do. <laughs> she was in this nasty car wreck, and ever since, she can't hold on to new memories. It's like every new day is a reset button for her, and she's stuck on the day of the accident. Day before the accident? It's the day of, though, because they go to get the pineapple for her dad on his birthday. Well, that's the thing, because they do go and get the pineapple for her dad's birthday, and that's when the accident occurs, because there's a cow in the road, and daddy wanted to avoid the cow. Instead, he just, watch out for that tree, he didn't. Everybody knows that cows in the road in Hawaii means you're going to crash your car. That's exactly what that means. Terrible omen. But in the movie, she's telling Adam Sandler that she's excited to go get a pineapple for her dad's birthday. Right. So she doesn't remember the crash at all or like anything leading up to the crash, the tradition leading up to it. Exactly. Because the accident would have impaired her short-term memory starting that day. So she wakes up every day thinking it's her dad's birthday again. I love birthdays, man, but that would be too much. It's a lot, for sure. Enter Henry Roth, played by Adam fucking Sandler, of course. This chill vet dude working with sea animals. He spots Lucy at our local cafe and is head over flipperth for her. Head over flipperth. They hit it off, and he's thinking, she's the one. But the next day, Lucy's like, who are you? And Henry's just standing there all confused. I really like the way this is set up, because Henry and Lucy hit it off at this diner. And none of the diner workers do anything about it. Even though they eventually will. They kind of they are like, oh, cool, eye. Lucy made a friend. They give him, a, fine, maybe a little side eye. They have a great time having this breakfast. Goes great. And then they go their own separate ways for whatever reason. It seemed like they both didn't have a whole lot to do that day, but they still separated and danced around at their cars all awkwardly, <laughs> like no one has ever done ever. But rom-com. No, Lucy had to do stuff for her dad's birthday. You know, she had that appointment to go get the pineapple. Which she never does. Which she never does because they've set up a system where they don't have to go get the pineapple every day. I wonder how many days it took them to like figure out the system. They're just like, can we just fucking lie to her? Just like once. Just, I gotta break this streak, please. <laughs> every day has become a nightmare. Can we just pretend it's my birthday and then we'll just move through this? Like Doug needs a vacation from it and he's just like, just tell her I died in my sleep or something. Just <laughs> get me out of this for a day. I'll come back. It'll be a miracle to no one. She's going to be so mad at me for a day that I missed your birthday, but then she's not going to remember. So, you know. That's such a weird reset button, but it works <laughs> for the purpose of this movie. Now, Henry, he doesn't give up easy. He starts coming up with all these clever plans to meet Lucy fresh every day. He's got to win her heart over and over. And let me tell you, it's no small feat. I love the ways that he's trying to win her over because he tries at the diner the first time. And it doesn't work at all. Lucy's actually a bit of a smartass and is a whole lot smarter than the ditziness that Drew Barrymore puts on the character. Yes. And she shoots him down. Over so and over again. quickly. Over and over again. And eventually he wins. He starts doing this whole crying act in the diner. It works out great for him. Then eventually he's like, all right, I'm going to take this out of the diner and take it to the streets. Well, the reason he takes it to the streets is because Lucy's dad tells him that 
he doesn't want him picking her up at the diner anymore. She's like, fine, I won't do the diner. I'll do the streets. The dad played by, of course, Blake fucking Clark. Blake fucking Clark. Whenever he shows up and I can understand what he's saying, I love him. He's very, very, very easy to understand in this movie. Yes, as opposed it's, to other he's movies. He's not waterboying at all. Homie, what you mean? Have you seen any of the stuff that Adam Sandler's doing right now, now that uh, Henry Winkler has a new book out? I have not. Adam Sandler's bringing the book around to different places with him as he's, I guess, reading it. And he keeps talking about Mr. Coach Klein. Mr. Coach Klein. <laughs> and I love it so much. There's a lot of references in this movie to his other movies. Oh, it's entirely chock full of references to other movies. So it's many. It's ridiculous. There's Happy all Gilmore golf swings with Ula, who I don't think the synopsis even mentions, who's played by Rob Schneider. Yeah, we didn't have to mention him. We That's didn't fine. have to. But I do have a pair of actual IMDb trivia facts that show the, the breadth of IMDb. I'm kind of curious. And also, how the hell has Rob Schneider not been canceled for this movie? That's one of the actual IMDb trivia okay. facts. It just says, Rob Schneider gets away with it because he's Filipino. Fine. Fair enough, I guess. That's the entire fact. <laughs> it's just, Rob Schneider gets away with it because he's Filipino. I'm glad they said that, though. Yeah. All fact. Really, I guess. Completely true. I'll get to the other one later. Can't wait. But there's all sorts of road shenanigans. There's the penguin that almost gets run over. Lucy beats up Ula when he's pretending to mug Henry. He ties himself, like <laughs> hog ties himself in the back of a truck at one yeah. point, which is great. And I love how someone passes, he's like, oh, not them. So he just picks up a newspaper and just reads it all hog tied. <laughs> yeah, it's a, already called the cops. They're on their way. I'm good. But he's persistent. And it's kind of touching how he goes the distance. Now, me and dad, we've been doing our best. To protect Luffy by recreating the same day for her so she doesn't have to face the harsh reality. It's pretty amazing what they do. We got this whole act down pat, but when Henry shows up, things start to change. Change isn't a bad thing. Change isn't necessarily a bad thing. But with Lucy, they definitely have this thing down to a science. They're repainting walls every night. They have the specific game on VHS so they can watch it every single day. Gotta watch that Vikings game, and they have to watch The Sixth Sense, and then repackage it in the wrapping paper, and... They have multiple copies of that day's newspaper printed. It's a whole production. It really is a whole production. It makes me kind of think like the dad should welcome literally anything else. Yeah. And I'm also curious how they're making any money. No idea. Keep doing this. No they have frozen clue. pineapples just ready to go for the next day. How do you fund this charade? I feel like. Maybe don't give her a boyfriend. Maybe just like have her wake up one morning with a gun, like Sopranos it. Woke up one morning, <laughs> got yourself a gun. And then, like, just have her have a gun. 50 like a first day. hits. <laughs> Very I don't know, I'm kind of curious to see what an art teacher's going to do with a gun when she's so confused. And, like, she comes out of the bedroom, she's like, Dad, I have a gun. He goes, blood in, blood out. You know how it works. <laughs> you don't remember? You don't remember? And then it turns into a whole memento situation. It could. Yeah, it's pretty insensitive to such a charming and sweet movie that actually handles this head injury like in the most appropriate way. Against all odds, it's the Adam Sandler movie that treats the head injury with but care. But damn it, I don't want that. I want some ahas and some weirdness. Fuck around a little bit with it. Adam Sandler sort of does. He does a little bit, but he's always very respectful. 
because, you know, we don't want to hate this guy for taking advantage of somebody who can't remember him. It's true. It's a very tight rope walk. Very tight rope to walk. That's a saying that people say all the time, <laughs> damn it. And I'm sticking to it. A tight rope to walk. Just everyone starts saying that so Brian doesn't feel so bad about his oopsie daisy. Thank you. At first, we're not too sure about him. But then we see he genuinely cares for her. And more importantly, the days Lucy meets Henry are when she's happiest. She's always singing that Beach Boy song about wouldn't it be nice or whatever. He knows exactly what it is. Don't you fucking whatever, Doug. Right, Doug? You, that's your mom's song. You know all about it. One particular day, Lucy gets a ticket for her expired registration. That's a hard word to say with a lisp. That is. There's a lot of letters going on there. And that's kind of a fucked up moment because she sees herself... She's herself. She sees the cop outside writing the ticket for registration. Apparently, this cop is just trolling diner parking lots or whatever. There must not be high crime in Hawaii. Not a lot to do in Hawaii, I guess. But you have Henry go out and try to solve the situation. You have Sue, the lady who owns the diner, and you have Tattoo Face, the guy in the diner. They go out, and they can't really expose the situation. Right. They have to play very coy to, to protect Lucy. Yeah, it's a really, really tight rope to walk. Thank you. Is that how you use it? Did I do That's, okay? You did it exactly right. <laughs> okay, good. It's like walking on eggshells, but like a different expression entirely. Real tight rope to walk. She, she discovers that it's over <laughs> a year later than she thinks, and she's confused and upset. We have to bring her to Dr. Keith's Dan fucking Aykroyd. Yeah, it is. That was surprising to me. So surprising. Yeah, and I've seen this a few times. I was like, Dan Aykroyd? Yup. And explain everything to her, presumably again. I really like this scene quite a bit. Everything involved in this scene of Lucy coming home. Yeah. And the dad telling Doug she's having a bad day. So this has happened before yeah. that she has figured out what's going on a few times. And they have a whole way of kind of dealing with it. They have the scrapbook about the accident to kind of let her in on it again. They talk to her. They've done this all before. She kind of has to accept everything all over again. They've had bad days. She demands to see a doctor to get, you know, verification. and they had Which she's done before also. You've had that verification multiple times. And that's when Henry's like, I'd like to go see the doctor too to you know, get my head around it. Which I think is a big step for him because it makes the dad and Doug go, I think this dude's serious. Yeah, for sure. He's not just trolling for poon, as the kids say, or something. <laughs> that the kids say? I don't know that's what, the what they say, say anymore. Well, they have to walk a tight rope. That's right. Well, I'm going to uh, yeet this D into. I, I don't know what kids say, man. I'm no, so I think, not I think with you nailed it anymore. It. Did I? Yeet this D into. It's giving tightrope to walk. Hello, fellow kids. Hello, fellow teens. <laughs> you know what? If you had done Buscemi as Ula, better movie. Better movie. 100% better movie. So Henry thinks there's a better way, and he starts making these videos for Lucy to watch every morning so she can catch up on her life without the shock. There's still the shock. Yeah, Every definitely. single time. It's a bold move, and it changes everything. Lucy seems to start to understand and accept what's happening. It's real emotional stuff. She does understand and accept it, and it seems to get quicker and quicker and quicker each day. Yeah. So there is an element of learning going on. And that is kind of explained with the whole Henry thing also. Yeah, and it does turn out that she is keeping her own separate journal in addition to the videos that she watches every morning. And 
I want to talk about that journal. I don't know if it comes up later in whatever writer McStrickley is trying to do here, but <laughs> Henry asks her when she started writing this journal, which is a weird question to ask somebody whose memory only lasts about 24 hours. Yes, And she is. says, it's right after I watched the video for the first time. It's like, how do you know when you watch the video for the first time? Because she even asked, is this the first time I've seen it? Or how many times have I seen this video? The dad even says, this is your first time watching it. Right. So she must have written it in that day that today was the first time I saw this video. And that's part of what she reads in the journal every day. I feel like that getting caught up takes longer and longer every time she has to do it, though. I mean, it has to, right? It has to. What do you do? Start giving yourself cliff notes on the first? Like, oh, so this is what happened this year. And <laughs> Well, at the end of this thing, the catch up seems so fast. Yeah. That there's definitely something learned that she can For fall sure. back on because she accepts things pretty easily and pretty quickly. We'll get there at the end, but man, I I love the way this movie is like. Yeah, I think there's something up. in reading her own writing about what's happening that helps her accept it more easily. She trusts herself as she yes. should because Lucy's no dummy. Absolutely, and she shows that over and over and over again in this movie. But then there's this moment where Lucy thinks she's got to let Henry go; that it's better for him. He's put his life and passion for studying walruses on hold for her. <laughs> If you can read the word walrith, it is ridiculous the way it's written. W-A-L-R-U-T-H-E-T-H. Walrith. Walrith. <laughs> so she breaks up with him and burns all of the memories of him from her journal. Henry takes it fairly well. Yeah, he's hurt quite a bit, but he understands. I have that IMDb trivia fact. Now? Now's the yeah. time? It's not really now. It probably should have been a scene ago, but we're here now. Um, okay. it's, about, it's about the video. <laughs> Go ahead. Henry makes a video for Lucy to let her know what happened since the accident that caused her memory loss. In the video, Henry said on one card, Red Sox win series. The next card read, just kidding. The movie came out in February of 2004. Later that year, the Red Sox actually broke an 86-year drought and won the World Series. Drew Barrymore was on the field with Jimmy Fallon after the win while filming scenes for Fever Pitch. Adam Sandler came up with a joke lightly because he's a Yankees fan and the Red Sox were their rivals. And that's actually one of those IMDb trivia facts that connects a bunch of silly things, but it's kind of neat. It is very, very neat. And I appreciate that Adam Sandler's own joke backfired that hard <laughs> on him because, yeah, fuck the Yankees. Fuck the Yankees indeed. And I have a theory that Adam Sandler is actually the one who broke the curse. I'll buy into that. Yeah. I will 100% buy into that. Well, it's tightrope to walk. Oh, oh, little puppy is going to go to the bat. He's going to hit the baseball. <laughs> oh, look at little Johnny. Why did I just go full Irish? <laughs> <laughs> oh, would you look at little Johnny Taman stepping into the batter's box? <laughs> What's wrong with Kurt Schilling's sock there, eh? Oh, boy. One note word's really hard to say with an Irish accent that I completely bailed on before even trying. What's that? No more Garcia para. <laughs> no more Gar Garcia para. <laughs> that is hard. <laughs> no ma. Maybe that's why they're just like, fuck all the letters. I know we're Irish, but Jesus <laughs> Christ, guys. We can't do it anymore. The only R we say is in Veritech. That's <laughs> true. And at the end of Idea. <laughs> that's right. Upset, Henry decides to peace out and do Alaska and study the walruses. 
He's like going to take this little boat that he's been fixing up for years to yes. Alaska. I don't understand how this is going to work out for him. I've seen enough of the the fishing show that everyone's probably yelling at the radios now. Yeah, that I can't one. think of the name of it. Ice Road Truckers. That's the one. <laughs> <laughs> now they're extra yelly. You've made it worse. Good job. All because we wanted to talk about Alaskan bush people. <laughs> Yeah, something about uh, dangerous fishing. That's what it's called. Most dangerous fishing. <laughs> That's exactly what they call it internally in the biz. Beloved man, it's got a deadliest catch. Po- deadliest catch. Yeah. That's what it is. That's what I was hinting at with the most dangerous fishing. I appreciate that you think I was doing a bit. No, I'm just a complete fucking idiot. <laughs> I really thought you were doing a bit. <laughs> Hey, it's a tight rope to walk. <laughs> it's a tight rope to walk. <laughs> Henry realizes that dad's parting gift of a Beach Boy CD was his way of telling Henry that she somehow remembers him. Why does this tell him? They got a pretty good relationship at this point. They really do. They, they've been hanging out quite a while. They're kind of bros. Instead, he gives him this CD, which I want to point out is spelled by Ryder McStrikely just THD. Very difficult to... CD. (laughs) It's a lot of interpreting going on here. Just tell him. She's singing the Beach Boys song. You know what that means. She remembers you. Luthie's living in the Memory Loth Institute, teaching art to the other patients. But there's this connection to Henry she can't shake off. She keeps dreaming about him and paints him without even realizing it. How awful would that be to dream about Adam Sandler every single night? And be like, I've never seen this man in my life. Why do I keep dreaming of this egg-shaped head? Maybe that's like the Safdie brothers, like next A24 is just Lucy's fever dreams about Adam Sandler. There actually is an A24 movie coming out. I think it's A24 about everybody having dreams about Nicolas Cage. That sounds like a delight. And it also sounds pretty goddamn realistic to my life so basically nicholas cage is just this normal dude and everybody on earth starts having dreams about him every night i love that idea and people just go absolutely crazy because it's like why is this guy showing up and then he's a real guy he becomes a celebrity overnight because everybody's dreaming about him what's this called and it doesn't exist tm 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 the movie's called dream scenario and it's playing right now oh all right i have not seen any commercials for it Though I can't say I've seen any commercials really for any Nick Cage movie in the past five years. <laughs> yeah, even the incredible weight of massive talent or whatever it was called. Didn't see many commercials for that, but the memes afterwards are everywhere. Well, that's because they got a Pedro Pascal to lean on. And yeah. his faces are a delight. They always are. Possibly our new Mr. Fantastic, Reed Richards. Which is an interesting choice. It's a choice for sure, and I am all about it because look, I love Daddy Pascal, Pascal as much as anyone. But Daddy Pascal, <laughs> it's definitely an interesting <laughs> choice, and feels safe in a way that it's like, hey, you do a bunch of Disney movies already, do this one. Everybody loves you, but also doesn't really fit the character. But he's Pedro Pascal, so I'm sure he can nail it. No one will shit on it because it's Pedro Pascal. No, or one it'll will be shit on the. It final turn of everybody has on him maybe it's like their setup when he shows up on screen and everyone's just like ah, i guess that's fine we still love pedro this is weird we casting pedro. and then like the next season the mandalorian starts and it's just mando blasting grogu in the opening scene in the head 
And he takes the helmet off, and it's John Krasinski. <laughs> oh, that would be very good. What a reveal. <laughs> Multiverse, baby. I love it so much. I just, I, I would love like another Mandalorian, like pull its helmet off and just look at him and just go, this is the way. And it's just Dwight true. And it's somehow they're tying it all together. Identity theft is not a joke, Mando. It's not a joke, Mando. Luthi's love for Henry is buried in her subconscious like a treasure. And then boom, there's Henry. That kind of does sum it up. And boom, there's Henry. He just kind of shows up at the Institute and he's like, hey, I know we broke up and you burned a lot of memories about me, but like, hi, I'm here. And she's like, I don't know you, but I paint you every night. So come back to my office and we'll talk. When they go back into that room and you see all the Adam Sandler paintings up there, that's too much. <laughs> it's so much. It's too At much. At that point, it's like it's Adam Sandler's turn to be afraid. Like, who is this lady and why is she painting me? The next time I get way too horny in an inappropriate situation, I'm not going to think about baseball because Noma played baseball and that's Noma. hot. But I'm going to think about that room with all the Adam Sandler paintings and there's a really good chance I'm going to get an innie. Yeah. It's not even it's going to go flaccid. It's going to crawl back uh, up inside of me. Any. <laughs> Just going to be a weird shaped hole with balls underneath it because of all the paintings of Adam Sandler. Yes. Not a single painting of Nomar Garcia Parra. <laughs> None. Surprisingly. <sighs> Should have thrown in one for Noma. Should have. <laughs> Maybe the curse would still be here today. Oh, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You know, I used to be able to do it, Adam Sandler, but now I'm afraid to do it. Whenever I do it, I literally make hand motions like I'm milking myself. I don't know why. Like pinching your own nipples? Maybe that's what I'm missing in my impression. <laughs> that's it, man. You're back. <laughs> Slabby Joe, slam, slabby Joe. That's all you need to do. In order to do a perfect Adam Sandler, milk yourself. You just milk yourself. And the best part is that everyone was yelling at their radio because the deadliest catch uh, kerfuffle a few minutes ago. You know, they're like taking their hands off the steering wheel, like, wow, this actually works. <laughs> hey, I when I do it. this, I sound just like the Shed Man. <laughs> what do you know, pal? Whoop a dee doo! Pretending to yank on my nipples was information I could have had yesterday. <laughs> it's very hard to do all the extremes of an Adam Sandler impression without blowing out a microphone. It's true. Adam Sandler is no friend to Mike's. Then one day, she's on his boat right there in Alaska. She watches the video that catches her up on their wedding, and they've got this adorable kid. It's like the ultimate happy ending. Luffy may not remember everything day to day, but the heart man. The heart remembers. It's very, very beautiful. And if you want to keep it more Boston, uh, Robert Kraft tell you about the ultimate happy ending. <laughs> the ultimate happy ending. Yeah, it's certainly not having a kid you have to introduce yourself to every single day. How fucked up must that be for the kid, though? That kid is going to be in therapy forever. And it sounds like Adam Sandler just gets more and more cavalier about introducing. like, hey, hey, this is your kid. Go say hi to your mom. <laughs> Go say hi to you. Hey, you want to meet? Like hugs the kid, and she's just like, "Oh, this is beautiful." Want to meet your kid? Well, look, Grandpa's here. Hi, Dad. What is happening? So there you have it—the story of my sister Lucy and her fifty-first dates with Henry. 
It's a wild ride full of love, laugh, and a little bit of heartache. But in the end, love conquers all, even when your memory's a little wonky. A <laughs> little wonky? <laughs> oh, boy. Peace out. And remember, love's always worth fighting for, even if you got to do it 50 times or more. Thank you so much, Ryder McStrikely Doug. You <laughs> definitely walked a tightrope on that one. That was a tightrope to walk. Story motivation. I'm going with a seven. Seven. I really like it. I really like it too. What? Where are your holes in the story? My holes in the story is that it's still Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore. Yes. And you get all sorts of fucking wily coyote things going on <laughs> when he's trying to like woo her, and that just gets That's a little true. ridiculous. Anything with Rob Schneider is way over the top, and I feel like it Always. takes away from this movie. But Rob Schneider is. It's like he's contract, like it's the MCU. He has to do a certain amount of movies, I guess. <laughs> Worth negative one point on the score. Yeah, uh, seven. That feels appropriate. Casting. Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore, they both do a really good job. They have a natural chemistry. They have chemistry. And you see it in The Wedding Singer. And that's really like, okay, these are the two we got to get for this movie. Absolutely. And then I think Blake Clark is a really good choice again for the dad. Obviously, he's going to be in here. It's a Sandman movie. Right. Sean Astin's the wild card. Sean Astin is the wild card. Everybody else here is basically your normal sand crowd, Sandman crowd. Like Alan Covert is 10 Second Tom. Sean Astin is going full-blown goof troop in this thing. Yes. But it works because he keeps the heart in the character. And I think that's he the commits. most important thing. Absolutely. And also, Dan Aykroyd. And Dan Aykroyd, with more wise than you think. I'm going to go with a five with a Missy Pyle bump. Six. With a Missy Pyle bump. The rare Missy Pyle bump. Whenever you get Missy Pyle, she's like the queen of leaning in. You know you're Absolutely. in for a good time. She plays such ridiculous characters. She pops up for one scene in this, and it works perfectly. It's kind of the catalyst for the entire movie when you think about it. Because it's what makes Henry realize, I got to stop being such a piece of shit. Hey, maybe I don't need to keep banging these floosies on vacation. His words, not mine. It's true. Six. Six. Protagonist. Good old Henry Roth. I appreciate the way they start this movie of having all these women who had been on vacation in Hawaii telling this story about a guy they met in Hawaii. Yes. And Kevin James. Weirdly, Kevin James. Yes. <laughs> But I think it establishes this character pretty well. I don't think Adam Sandler's Henry Roth lives up to the reputation that is set at the beginning of this. Absolutely not, because he's still Adam Sandler. 100%. Uh, strangely, not a sex symbol. Weird, weirdly enough. <laughs> are you saying that big polo shirts and cargo shorts are not sexy? I think that's what we're all saying, I Adam. I'm pretty sure that's what we're all saying, Adam. What about my love for New Hampshire? He loves New Hampshire so much. What do you know about that, pal? I think the only time Adam Sandler's like proper sexy was like, you don't mess with the Zohan. <laughs> you think that's proper sexy? I think that's proper sexy. It's because of all the all the pubes. Probably because of all the pubes. It's the confidence to wear those shorts, really. That's fair. The Sandman had to actually get in shape for that movie. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's what did it. <laughs> We're going to need you to do a few push-ups and also wear this back corrector so you're not just hunching all the time. <laughs> He's fine in this. Five. F five. I, well, at the same time, I feel like without Adam Sandler, this movie is not this movie. You're probably right because there was a time for Adam Sandler and it was here. It and, was the and early 2000s. And actually slightly before too because 
this is when he's kind of breaking out of his frat boy type movies with your Billy Madison, your Happy Gilmore. He's kind of taking that next step to the proper rom-com at that point. Right. All right, six. Fine. All right, fine. You talked me into an Adam Sandler six. Antagonist. No idea. Goldfield Syndrome. Fine. We'll go with that one. Which is kind of, well, I mean, it's not a real thing at all, but it's kind of like anterograde amnesia. It's kind of like that. They do explain the science behind a little bit, how when you go to sleep at night, you do enter various sleep stages, and there is a sleep stage that is what kind of files your memories from the previous your day. short-term memory becomes your long-term at some point. She don't got that. So She doesn't have that. Just hits the reset button every single day, so I guess we can go with that. This movie doesn't happen without that. Right, and I don't know what else there is for an antagonist, because it's not like, because everybody else is rooting for Henry. I was, like, rooting for him hard, too. I thought he was yeah. a very sweet guy. E exactly, and so does everybody in the movie. So everybody wants this guy to win. There's not really an antagonist other than this memory loss. Three. Th three. It's fair. Screenplay. Written by George Wing. George Wing did a pretty good job on this thing. It's pretty solid through and through. It originally took place in Seattle and was a drama until, you know, Adam Sandler got involved. Made the right choices to switch this thing to Hawaii and goof it up a little bit. Yes. We gotta go with a five again. It's a safe five. Okay. But I really like the way this thing is structured. I do too. And there's definite emotional beats in this that really yeah. land. That They feel like they shouldn't have any business landing. And, they and you go work. through your, your typical rom-com steps of, you know, there's the unexpected twist where she breaks up with him and then he's lost all hope. And then there's the moment of realization and the return, and the meeting and all of that. It's got all of your rom-com plot points. Man, I have no idea why this just went into my brain as you were talking about any of that stuff. But the only thing I can think about was my super ex-girlfriend. And I <laughs> okay. don't know why. But now, for some reason, I'm relating them, and there's nothing to relate. It's a there's... very weird connection that I'll probably fall asleep and dream of Adam Sandler and figure it out. <laughs> right. That's that's the way it works. Wouldn't it be nice? <laughs> Wouldn't it be nice? <laughs> so are we sticking with a fire for screenplay, or did I convince you to up it a little bit? You did not. All right. It's a five. <laughs> Style and tone. And it's a rom-com in Hawaii. Yes. There's not a through. whole lot of style, not a whole lot of tone for the most part going on. It's fine. There's nothing terribly special about the way this thing looks or feels. It's it's a basic rom-com, and that's okay. Yes. That's uh, it's three totally again. fine. Three, four, damn it. Yeah, that's fine, too. I don't know what they could have done to go higher. It's an Adam Sandler movie <laughs> from the early 2000s, mid-2000s. Doesn't matter. It's not going to be anything that's going to win It's awards. also very much the style and tone of an Adam Sandler movie from the early 2000s. Yeah, that's completely right. <laughs> so for director. Peter Siegel. He's done some bangers before this one. He has, because he has done one of my favorite comedy movies, Hard Stop, with Tommy Boy. Yeah. He also did the third Naked Gun movie, 33 and a third. He also did The Nutty Professor 2, The Clumps, the Clumps. of course. Uh, anger Management, Longest Yard. He was a big part of that early 2000s streak of Adam Sandler movies. My Spy, he did later on. Yeah, that was recent. It was only a few years ago with Dave did, Batista, right? Did 10 episodes of Heels, too. Oh, so He's not messing around. He did three episodes of Shameless. Jeez, all right. 
Um, yeah, he did totally fine in this thing. He's directing a rom-com with Adam Sandler. He just basically had to tell them to turn the camera on. Yeah, and it's like, oh, don't worry. Drew Barrymore and Adam Sandler got this. I'll go with a four again. That's fair. Music. Score by Teddy Castellucci. Couldn't tell you any of the actual score, but there are so many songs in this movie. There are, and the Beach Boys is such a wonderful touch. Yes, and all the reggae covers of 80s songs, and then you get the Somewhere Over the Rainbow, What a Wonderful World by Israel Kamakawi Wiole, which is always fun. I kind of dig it, man. I kind of like it quite a bit. I'm going to go with the I'm seven. A big fan of the music in this movie, and the seven, I think, is very appropriate, which brings us to the box office. This movie was only filmed with a $75 million budget. Only? Only $75 million. Only? <laughs> well, all that money went to Hawaii. <laughs> Wow, that is such a a big budget for this movie. Absolutely. But in its opening weekend, it opened first place against, you know, Miracle, Barbershop 2, You Got Served, Butterfly Effect, Along Came Polly, The Return of the King was in its ninth week. So it had a good Valentine's Day slash President's Day weekend opening. That's good. We got like a Sean Astin passing out of the baton a little bit there. Yeah, a little bit. (laughs) And then it went on to gross $198 million. All right. Which is big money because Adam Sandler in 2004 was worth big money. Yeah. Adam Sandler's still worth big money, weirdly. Weirdly. Um, But that's a 265% increase from the estimated budget, which gives this movie an eight. That is respectable. Very much so. I cannot believe this movie cost $75 million to make. Surely all of that money was because it was filmed in Hawaii. It has to be. That's a big location shoot. I, I mean, unless Sandler pulled a 20 on that. Who knows? Possibly. Dan Aykroyd probably got a, a decent pay bump. I'm sure he was just happy for the job because this is right before he starts slinging his weird vodka that no one likes. Oh, that's true. And it's like a free trip to Hawaii. Yeah, maybe that's what he was in for. Yeah, I'll, I'll do it for a Tommy Bahama shirt. That'd be great. <laughs> that's a good Aykroyd. It's not hard to do because he also does the whole Callahan speech again in this from Tommy Boy. That's right, because Callahan Auto Parts funds the Memory Loss Research Institute. (laughs) Because everything in this movie is connected to the rest of the Gilmore-verse. It has to be, even though that's a Peter Siegel callback. The Happy Madison-verse? What are we talking about? Eight for box office. Oh, that's all right. (laughs) Last category is impact on the industry. Not a huge one. It's not big. Um, It's been actually remade in India twice in two different languages. It's been remade in Japan, Iran, and Mexico. It inspired a real-life therapy for dementia patients at, you know, one place. They're like, we're going to do the video thing. We saw that in 51st Dates. It looked like it worked. So that's big outside the industry, and I appreciate that quite a bit because that actually is super important, super cool. Yeah. I really like that it has been remade in multiple countries. I like that quite a bit. Pretty neat. And some of them pretty recently. Like, I think Iran, it was 2018. It was also among the first batch of movies released on Blu-ray, along with Terminator, Underworld Evolution, Hitch, House of Flying Daggers, Fifth Element, and Triple X. I can't believe this came out with the Fifth Element. (laughs) Right? (laughs) (laughs) I know which one I would have picked up that day. (laughs) I'm going to go with a six. I think a six is probably appropriate. And I don't know why. It's a confused six. It's not a very dirty six. It's not a very confident six. It feels high. Yeah, all right. Four. All right, four. Sure. (laughs) You're you're right, man. You're absolutely right. I don't know why, but four. 
it's not a huge impact, but you know, it exists. It's part of the Sandler verse. Every single time I'm going to give it a different name for the, the whole universe. It's a tightrope to walk. <laughs> I mean, you haven't committed to one yet. This is fine. That is going to give 51st Dates a total score of 54. That is directly in the middle of the critical score, the audience score. Critically, this movie scored a 45% on Rotten Tomatoes. Audiencely, 65% on Rotten Tomatoes. Look at us. Split right the, in the difference. Middle. Walking that right, that tightrope. That right tightrope. <laughs> it's evolving. I had to do way too much lisp talking. Yeah, you did, and I'm very impressed that you are able to do it. Brian, this is a great pick. You nailed it. It came in the clutch. You nailed it. I appreciate it. But now it's time for your pick for next week. So why don't you beer us a movie? I'm very excited for this pick, Brian. Okay. It's a movie I've wanted to talk about for a very, very, very long time. It's a proper piece of cinema, which I think is the important thing. A lot of, yeah, don't turn off, fuckers. Don't turn off whenever I start talking about (laughs) proper bits of cinema. Dave's getting pretentious. Sometimes cinema comes in different forms. Okay. Sometimes it, it could be black and white. Sometimes it could be like Italian or something. Oh, very fancy. Something like that. But sometimes you have a bit of cinema that just makes you want to yell, Wilma! Because we are talking 1994's The Flintstones. Yabba dabba fucking do. That's very exciting. I'm glad you think so, man. And we're going to probably have a guest on for it. It's someone who, talking to privately, said, I want to go on this episode. Yeah, you got it, bud. Well, I can't wait to see who that is. And should we tell everybody what we're going to be doing for Christmas this year at this point? Or should we save it? It's December. It is December, and we have not committed to a movie yet. We have committed to a um, an inebriated episode again. We, we have not done that. So we're committing to an inebriated episode again. Oh, <laughs> no. Oh, no, no, no. No pickles for you, Brian. No, None. they're still in my fridge. I can't even look at them. Throw them out. What are you doing? I can't even look at them. Wow. I, well, all right. <laughs> Me and Brian have talked offline about what would be a fun movie to talk about for Christmas? We've thrown around a lot of ideas, and I think we've landed on one at this point. Am I right? I'm pretty sure we've landed on one. It is a Christmas classic, or at least for our generation, a Christmas classic. Brian, why don't you tell everybody what movie me and you are going to be drinking heavily while talking about uh, in a couple weeks? Or just, you know, make a sound. I'll give you a very big hint about how I feel about drinking again for one of these episodes. And that sound is simply, <clears throat> we're talking to Santa Claus. Yes, we are. I can't wait. It's going to be I'm so very great. Excited for that. We're going to drink the weird uh, chocolate drink or whatever that the weird elf girl gives Tim Allen in that probably. The hot chocolate that she's worked, been working 2000 years perfect. Yeah, it's just melted chocolate, lady. Come on. Apparently, it's a very secret recipe and I want it. Uh, That's coming up in a few weeks. Next week, the Flintstones. Can't wait. Until then, thanks for listening. Be sure to rate, review, subscribe. Send us your movie suggestions for listener picks whenever we get back around to that, probably in January. As always, our patrons get double the picks, so join us on Patreon. We're doing a thing this month. If you didn't check out our Iron Man commentary last month, do that, because we do a whole entire catch-up on the MCU, and I dance around a lot of spoilers for the sake of Dave. It's not a lot. You dance around some, but it's it's basically me and you talking for two hours about the state of the MCU well, while Iron Man, Iron plays Man in the happens to be playing in the background. And we do take occasional Leslie Pitt breaks, as we you should. Take, we take bit breaks, and it's definitely worth a listen. So join us on Patreon for that. 
Email us your movie picks and questions and comments to bearmemoviepod at gmail.com. And follow us on all our social media at Bear Me a Movie on everything like Instagram and Facebook and probably no longer on Twitter by the time this comes out. Hopefully not on Twitter. Hopefully. <laughs> that one's different. And if you really want to follow it, you know, we have links on our pages and stuff. <laughs> we sure do. Really try not to promote that Twitter anymore. But especially follow us on that Facebook because we always put up a post on our recording days asking for your questions and comments. And we got some. Some. Jeff Miners wrote in and he asked. So Dana Aykroyd has the biggest dick in the world, followed by the Wallace. <laughs> Which one of you has the third? Oh, it's between us? It's between us. So uh, let me see your penis. I thought it was Tattoo Face. <laughs> it is Tattoo Face in the movie. Pomaika Kai Brown. Yep. Still need to see your penis, Brian. Okay. <laughs> Brian, I don't know which of us has the biggest uh, penis. I don't know. Even though Jeff is under the impression that me and you would probably be number three and four in the world. That's probably <laughs> true. Pretty impressive. Uh, but I'm going to get some really weird Google uh, alerts or whatever it is coming oh, up. Oh, no. Because I Googled the biggest penis in the world just out of very much curiosity. Yeah. Did you even open an incognito tab or did you just go for it? Shit. Shit. I, you know what? Hindsight, man. <laughs> <laughs> Hindsight's important. <laughs> Roberto Esquivel Cabrera, 56-year-old Mexican citizen known as El Centoro, is the man with the largest penis in the world. It is 48 centimeters long, which is in metric. So uh, just assume <laughs> it's true. No, it's 18 inches, borderline 19 inches. No wonder they call him the centaur, because he's got a horse penis. And it weighs 900 grams. They weighed it. They weighed his penis. I didn't know that that was part of the measurement that we had to be... See... Male body standards, we always have to measure up to these new expectations. It's a tight rope to walk. 900 grams is just shy of two pounds. That's a heavy wiener. It is a very, very, very heavy wiener that even Joey Chestnut would probably blush. <laughs> like Kobayashi. Phil, hot take Hawkins wrote in. He said, who would you rather go on 51st dates with? Adam Sandler or Drew Barrymore? Honestly, I think it'd probably be more fun with Adam Sandler. I think it'd be more fun with Adam Sandler. And also, I don't think he's going to try to talk to me a lot. And I'm okay with that. Whereas yeah. I feel like Drew Barrymore would, uh, you know, cross a picket line. Yes. I got, I got issues with her. I got issues with her. Yeah, I think I think that's fair. Um, even Ryder McStrikely didn't cross a picket line. No, that's well, right. one of them. Yeah, that's very, very fair. Uh, Drew Barrymore very, very, very famously tried to bring back her talk show without writers and then had to pull the ripcord on that, and it didn't work out either way. Publicly apologize and cry on Twitter about it. Wah, wah, wah. Adam Sandler, you win this one. No problem. You sure do. And, spoiler alert here, next week's guest, Mike Lanham. He's coming back. Oh, nice. He was on The King of Kong. He's coming back for Flintstones, baby. He said, let's it. hear those worst date stories. And I got one that comes to mind pretty quickly on this. Yeah. Uh, I was with a bunch of group of friends and we kind of melded with another group of friends. And then we all became groups like a, a larger group of friends, like a supernova of friends. A big old friend polycule. And it was like the third hangout. I started hooking up with this one girl in the, the other group and it was going great. And then we went on a date and it was great. And then she was married. Oops. Was her husband one of the people in the group? Nope. 
Uh, yeah, that's not great. No, not great. Listen, we've all done similar things, I'm sure. <laughs> Why is that so funny, Dave? I don't know, man. I'm like thinking back at my past. It's like, there are a lot of first dates to go off of. That one was real bad. Yeah, I don't have a lot of bad first date stories because I'm a very charming individual and I always have fun. If I ask any of the girls they had a bad first date, what would they say? Oh, they all had terrible first dates. <laughs> but I had a good time. He kept talking about El Toro's 48 centimeter long <laughs> prenis. Don't forget the 900 we get grams. It. Brian, it weighed just shy of two pounds. We get it, Brian. I can't not bring it up. <laughs> You're setting an expectation. I know. It's a bad move. It's a bad move. That way they're not overwhelmed by the third or fourth biggest penis in the world. There you go. Look at you. What a gentleman. This is your problem. That You're just so goddamn charming. Um, it's the worst. It's a, it's a burden. It's a tight <laughs> rope to walk. <laughs> there it is. Everybody, thank you so much for your questions. Thank you for listening. Thanks for hanging out with us. Brian, you got anything else, bud? No, that is it for me. Fantastic. We're going to see everybody next week for the Flintstones. See you then.